came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called... We read through that. And Moses went up unto God. And we stopped there. A human being went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, both uh, above all the people, for all the earth is mine. For all the earth is mine, a singular statement that clarifies that he is the only true God among all the Egyptian God. All the earth is mine, monotheistic, that's what we are. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that thou, which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come down unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people about Mount, upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed unto yourselves, or to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. And we'll stop right there. Ready about verse 11. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word to our hearts. Uh, the holiness of God, the unholiness of man, we see it absolutely clearly set forth. We see tonight also your servant Moses is uh, really evidenced by the fact that you speak with him. And so the people are going to know that Moses is your servant. And so, Lord, help us as we think about this text tonight. May we uh, examine our own lives and hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're jotting down notes, first of all, we see is the crossing, the first couple of verses there in 19, in verse 1, and... They're in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. The same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Interesting to note that this is about three months. And so if you remember two months, about 50 days, really, seven weeks, 50 days approximately. We've had the Passover. They have left. And so now about 50 days after the Passover, they're going to start receiving the law. If you go back to the New Testament time, you'll see the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. And so you could almost tie that in there together. The coming of the law, coming up 50 days after Passover, we have the Pentecost coming on in the New Testament times. It could be some would go back all the way to here to the beginning of the Pentecost, if you want to call it that. The Feast of First Fruits now is after the Passover. It is according to tradition. The first Feast of First Fruits is always... The following Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, after Passover. And so that's approximate time. And then we hear later on, then we have the next feast possibly here. And so it's, it's, it's a picture there for us, if you want to call it that. But this is going to be a long park, if you would, almost a year here at Sinai. That's the time frame, the third month after leaving Egypt. The terrain in verse 2. They, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness where Israel encamped before the mount. 
Interesting, uh, Butler points out this mount, I've not been there, but Mount Sinai, there's a, a, a plane, and then there's a, almost like an amphitheater. It's a very thing well to speak. They've got two million people. We've got a bunch of leaders now, but thanks to Jethro and Moses, and he's going to speak to them in this area. It works out far as practically, it works out great. Then also you find it's an important place. God's going to give his word, a natural amphitheater, if you would. What has happened here? Moses saw the burning bush here. Moses received his call from God here. Israel spent nearly a year here giving the law and tabernacle. It's where Elijah went when he fled from Jezebel in the cleft of the rock and saw the earthquake, the strong wind, the fire, the still small voice, an important part of Scripture. Matter of fact, if you were to study the entire law, it's about one-twelfth of all of Scripture. A lot, it's a lot. A lot of part of the law is given to the Israelites here. Now, there are three classes of law, basically. There are the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial or religious laws, and they're interwoven together. Uh, we must be careful that when we distinguish these laws so that when we say the Apostle Paul says, we're not under the law, but under grace. That doesn't mean that we throw away the moral laws. That's a way people want to do today to get, get be able to, in their mind, to practice sin, we're going to throw that moral, well, no, the moral laws still stand. God's word still stands. The, the Ten Commandments, which is the next chapter, they still stand. Matter of fact, if you follow the Ten Commandments, your, your society will, will be far better off for it. Our society was built on the Ten Commandments in, in many ways. The moral law does not save us, but it is the rule, the standard by which conduct is judged and regulated by God. Whereas just as obliged, I believe, to keep the moral law as the Israelites were in Old Testament time. It's not changed. So we, we have to understand that. We're, we, we're not, under the, not being under the law, but under grace means we are under no obligation to keep the multitude of Israel's ceremonial religious laws, which portrayed Christ, many of them, if not all, and his redemptive work. Alan Cole says, regarding this terrain, also this wilderness was, was not a sandy desert, but really a, a grazing country not settled by man. Now remember, they have come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've been attacked by the Amalekites. Moses on the mountain held, held his hands up, and they won that battle. And so now they're in Rephidim, now they've come to Sinai, and so now they're going to get the law. Interestingly enough, this really the first 18 verses, God's first 18 chapters, God has his redeemed people redeeming them now. They're going to enter into a covenant with God. Covenant with God. Just at least eight times Moses asked Pharaoh, let my people go and we'll go and we'll worship God. And Pharaoh every time says, no, no. And then he waffled a little bit, but eventually said, no, no, we're not, no, you can't take everybody. No, sick of this. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. Many wonderful things have occurred at Sinai that day, but I tell you, probably the greatest thing they're going to experience is God talking to Moses. And they're going to hear God talking amazing. Can you imagine hearing God talk? I've heard some... I remember Jane, the late James Earl Jones. Is that his name? I think it was. The actor. That deep, resonant voice, just like that. His beautiful, resonant voice. You hear, op, you hear opera singers in this deep, resonant bass voice. And Can you imagine God speaking? It's like the thunder. Was that thunder? Was that thunder? Yeah. And so I heard something today, and my wife says, what are you getting up for? You can't sleep. I said, no, I hear something bumping downstairs. And I was like, oh, it was the cat or what it was. He was innocent this time. Remember the first time ever. It wasn't the cat, but something. I don't know, who, I don't know what it was. He still don't know what it was to this day. Maybe he's outside something, but I thought I heard somebody knocking. It wasn't. So. 
Israel camps here for 11 months, 10 months, 19 days. And it records now, if you think from here all the way through Leviticus, all the way to Numbers 10, that's how much information is gleaned from this 11 months, 10 months, 19 days. That's how far it is. Well, the text does not specifically say so. I believe God directly brought them here and his purpose, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. The 11 months are less than one fortieth of the time of Israel would be in the wilderness. But these 11 months occupy the focus all the way from 19 of Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, all the way to Numbers 10. So why was there skipping a lot of the part of the wilderness wanderings? Because God chose, this is what we need to know. This is when you've got the law, the law stands. The crossing. Then there is the covenant, the principle in verse 3. And Moses put up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Moses went up to God. It's easy to read that a finite man meeting with God. Now we know that eventually that he, it's really warm up here, that he will talk with God. Matter of fact, talk with God so long that he started glowing. That wasn't the top of his head like mine goes probably right now with the sweat on it. Glowing. This is like the sign from the, the glory of God shown. And they had to put a veil on him because he talked with God. They knew where he had been. It's amazing that God, a man talking with God. Now, if it's a man who's in heaven, that's what's, I can wrap my mind around that. But God talking with a man, that's just amazing that God would do that. And what an amazing blessing for him. Moses, about eight times up and back on the mountain, Wearsby says, and you could actually have a little chart I saw where it records the eight times Moses went up and down from the mountain. We see the principle in verse 4 also. Uh, we find in, and when we have seen, or ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you to, or unto myself. Supernatural assistance, eagles' wings, and I've heard a whole message, I think it was Dr. Sexton has a whole message on eagles' wings, how God brought them and protected them. Has he not taken Israel and brought them to this marvelous place? He has. It so connotes or, connotes or talks about supernatural protection and provision, pattern after the way in which an eagle, when training a youngster, pushes it out of the nest. As you well know, the, the, the builds the nest with some sharp points. As the eagle gets older, he gets uncomfortable as he gets on those points, and then eventually the mom pushes the little eagle out, and it's falling and flailing, and zoom, swoops down, brings it up, and dumps it off again, and falling and flailing. And finally, the little eagle starts learning how to fly for himself. Bear on eagle's wings. It's interesting that an eagle does not carry their young in their claws, but on the back, and the, and the little eagle attach it to the back and so if the eagle's flying and if someone happened to shoot at an eagle they're going to have to go through the mother first before they even get to the little eagle and so interesting how God has borne them all along Keelan Dishwich says under the figure of an eagle which teaches its young to fly and in doing so protects them from injury with watchful affection Moses describes the care with which the Lord came to the relief of his people in their helplessness and assisted them to develop their strength. End of quote from there. We find then that God has watched over his people. He's watching over us. 
Even the little things in our lives. I remember Mr. Womack, uh, was how he stops and prays for something he can't find. And I was getting ready for my computer class last weekend, and I had a little fob. It's a little thing you change uh, by remote. You can run your computer, and I couldn't find it. I said, Lord, please help me to remember where that was. And boom, right off the bat, there it was. Down in the basement, and the end table where I used to study down there. That's where it was, and it was right there. He watches over us. He does that for us. It reminds us of Psalm 91. If you want to hold your place for just a moment and turn over to Psalm 91, I don't ask you to turn too many places and messages, but this is, a, I think, just a reminder what a beautiful psalm. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise of the pest, and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. The songwriter said, Under his wings I am safely abiding, though the night deepens and tempests are wild. Still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me, and I am his child. I remember the story in, in, in Bible school and long time ago in Sunday school of the little red hen. I can't remember. My mom told that story over and over and, and the little red hen uh, gave her life for her chicks and she, a fire came through and the farmer was going by. He found what we thought was a stump and kicked it and it was the mother hen who had given her life. And out from under that hen came, oh, all the little chickens started coming out because she had given her life under her wings. Under her wings they had found Safety. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. The psalmist says, I will trust in the covert of thy wings. What a wonderful picture of what God has done for his people. It's a wonderful picture of what God does for us on a daily basis. Under his wings, we are abiding there. Now, therefore, verse 5, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. What a prophetic picture of the potential of the, of the nation of Israel, his peculiar treasure. You have but to look at history to see how God has superintended his treasure. Abraham's about 1900 B.C., and they are still a, a nation even again now in 2022 A.D. What an amazing thing. We are headed down the, the wrong path, and we're only, what, 200, approximately 250 years old. How Are we going to make it to 300? I have my doubts. I, I'm hoping the Lord comes back long before we would turn 300. But Israel's been alive. It was at 30, that's almost uh, 3,000, almost 4,000 years as a nation. God has preserved them in many ways under his wings. This word to obey and to keep are relatively synonymous for they speak of obedience. Sadly, this preview was not watched by all of the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, most of the nation of Israel, by the time we get to chapter 32, are going to have problems with following God. Even though they know Moses is God's man, he goes up to the mountain. We don't know. He's been up there, what, 40 days? We don't know what's happened to Moses. Up, make you gods. And they struggle with that. That the Jews are God's chosen people, says Wearsby, does not mean they're better than any other nation, only that they're different. Set apart by the Lord for his special work. 
It reminds us of some of the spiritual treasures God has given Israel that they might be a blessing. Romans chapter 9, I'm going to read Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Listen to the special treasure that God has made or given to Israel. Romans chapter 9, 4 and 5 says for us, Who are Israelites? Romans 9, 4. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom has concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. It is through Israel we have the Messiah. Israel has been greatly blessed by God, watched over by God, yes. It doesn't mean they're superior. It simply means they are God's chosen people. He's got his eye on them. And that angers Satan, as you well know, angers Satan even to this day. And he probably is constantly trying to find ways to uh, crush Israel. And because now, Israel has, has these measures and privileges, they also have a greater responsibility. The principle would be from the one who has been given or entrusted with much, much more will be asked. To whom much is given, much is required. And so God has given these things. We are to in turn use them for him. Back in 19.5, it says there for us this peculiar treasure, this incalculable blessing of being God's, Jehovah's own possession, is conditioned here now on obedience. Among the people, speaks of Israel having been chosen by God. His election of them as, as a holy nation. This word treasure means a treasured possession, a, a valued personal property which is owned by someone in which the owner has special affection. The Hebrew word there occurs in reference to something God chooses, referring here to Israel, other times to personal wealth. Imagine for just a moment you see the king of all the earth, and he's there, and he's got all the attendants there. And, and right at the bottom of his throne, he has a big box. No, it's like a hand unit. But the big box has for him his favorite treasures. So every now and again, he reaches down and looks at perhaps it's for a man be coins, or perhaps some stocks, or perhaps some fishing lures, or perhaps some, I don't know, what knives or something. And he looks in there, and his greatest treasures are right there, which he can often look at, sift through, and enjoy. That's the idea. We are his peculiar treasure. We are, of all that the king has, we're, we're the favorites we're right here. And that's the idea. Israel, yes, but also it's been uh, extended to us. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn over there for just a moment again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You said, Pastor just said a minute ago, you don't ask us to turn very much. I know. Uh, I've, uh, this, is diff- this is an unusual sermon that I ask you to turn to so many places. But you know, the Word of God is the most important part of any sermon. So it helps us to see it, I believe, as well as just to hear it. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. This is the same motif, if you would, the people of God. But ye are a chosen nation, generation, a royal priesthood, a whole and holy nation, a peculiar people. Peculiar treasure, that you should show forth his, the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God has given us mercy, and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. God is so merciful to us and, and cares for us, and even when we blow it big time, God still loves us and cares for us. 
He's talking about us, a peculiar people, a peculiar treasure. And it's not just Jews. We now, as believers, are his peculiar treasure. Like when he looks, looks at, can you imagine how God has, has upholding all things by the word of his power, and he looks, to give an illustration again, at his feet, and here are all his bestest, his favorite things, and he might pull you out. Amazing. We are a peculiar treasure to him. Wow, it's an amazing thing. I love this one, and this one is mine. Woo, I hope it's me. It might be me someday, but of all the believers, it might pull me out. This one is mine, and uh, I'm not sure every day. I don't put that one back. He's not doing so good today. He doesn't feel like that. He's mine. That's how it feels. I'm his peculiar treasure. Two theological imports of this verse. First of all, God is creator and father of all people and people groups. He announces here his intention to create for himself a peculiar, a treasured possession. What a wonderful thing that is. And secondly, monotheism. Look and check back over to our text. In 19.5, Jesus declares, now remember, probably some of the Israelites are still wondering about the gods of Egypt and probably some of them want to go back to those gods of Egypt, especially the mixed multitude. But he says in 19.5, for all the earth, the earth is mine. There's no other gods but him, and he he owns it all. He owns the cattle on the only a thousand hills on all the hills, the all the wealth. It is his. It is he made it. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We are we are his. It is his. Nineteen six. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, a holy nation is pretty straightforward. Some things we, we, we wonder about, we, we grapple with. And what's he trying to say? A holy nation. Oh, I know what that means. It's no sin. It's less sin and more like God. That's what holy means. Be holy for I am holy. That's what holiness is. We become like Christ and strive in that. In the midst of the Canaanite cesspool of immorality and idolatry, Israel was to stand out like a group sold out to Jehovah, directing people to what it meant to follow God, what righteous living was. That was the idea. A whole and holy nation, separate. God, by the way, is calling Christians today, I believe, to the very same thing. Not in arrogance, not in we have the only way that there is to go. No, but in righteous living where sin is sin. And we eschew that, if you would, Job, eschew sin, iniquity. We are to be that. Wiersbe says that meant for Israel to be holy is in every area of life, Israel's activities were governed by the fact that they belonged to God. And that included what they ate, what they wore, who they married, who the, how they buried their dead, and especially how they worshiped. During the plagues of Egypt, God put a difference between them and the Egyptians because the Jews were not to live like the pagan Gentile nations. End quote. Be ye holy today for us. 1 Peter 1.16 Be ye holy for I am holy. That's what he's called us to. He's not called us to worldliness. He really hasn't. He's called us to live separately from the world. So that's the principle. There also is a promise in 7 and 8. 
And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their uh, faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Now remember, they had just in chapter 18 broken out into captains over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Now he's, he's called, I don't know which ones he called, but he calls them in and lays them out what God has called them to do, the elders if you would, and they're going to be the emissaries to pass it along to all of Israel. There were no cell phones, there was no internet it had to be by word of mouth and courier, etc. People telling, leaders telling their people how they're supposed to behave. Verse 8, and all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's a great start. All that we, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. If only they had kept that same mindset all 40 years. All and do describes their affirmation, but good intentions need to be backed up by good actions. They express confidence they will succeed, but confidence can sometimes reflect pride, not a genuine heart commitment. And it was more than just deciding they had to actually do something. Three frogs were on the log. All three decided to jump off, but only one did. So the only one actually acted upon there, and probably the other two got caught by the froggers and in the frying pan the next night. I don't know, but you have to respond. It's not just thinking, I'm going to do something. Do something. A good start is no guarantee to a good finish. Start well. I, I started so many jobs, and by the time I get to the let's just get to the end. Let's just get it done. You know, what we were so careful painting there. Three hours later, or three hours later, get the spring it up. Oh, we're done. Good. That's good. Good. Good for me. And, and so, a good start, hopefully, will as we grow. It's a struggle. It is a marathon. As you walk the Christian walk, there's discouraging times come. We always have to keep our face and eyes upon God, keep our nose in the Word. My uncle tells me, Uncle Larry, we've been corresponding back and forth. Uncle Larry, pastors in, in Maryland. Keep, it's your nose in the book, your eyes on the Lord, and your knees on the floor. That's what he tells me. Keep those three things, you know. Keep praying, keep reading, and keep looking to God. And that's what we should be doing. So the crossing, the covenant, and we'll start just start the charging. And we see sanctifying in verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, or behold, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. The word lo there in, in the Hebrew is a word of wonder, excitement, admiration. Whenever you see it hung out in Scripture, it is like a, an ancient signboard signifying that there's rich wares within. Lo, set up, behold. Or it's like the hands which solid readers have observed in the margin. You read a, a, a low. Somebody writes a big note in here about that specific phrase or passage. Wake up. Pay attention. It's like a divine highlighter, if you would. Lo, behold, I come unto thee in a thick cloud. Get ready, because I am coming in a thick cloud. Sit up. Pay attention. Spurgeon says it's like this. Uh, listen up, all ye who would be wise in the ways of Jehovah. That's what it means. Specifically, he's coming to Moses. But clearly, all people would be witnessing this. If I say to you that I am best friends with, I don't know, pick somebody else. I'm best friends with, oh, I don't think that's my name. Oh, the, the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. 
You don't even know the quarterback. And then I go, and you see me go up to, what's his name? Joe Burrow. I go up to Joe Burrow. I said, hi, Joe. And he says, hi, Tim. How are you? And we all give me hugs. And how's your family? How's your dog? How's your cats? And we go, you know what? I believe he does know Joe Burrow. Because he, I see him, and they interact, and they, and they know each other's name. And I didn't believe Pastor Todd. He actually saw it. Moses. God's going to say, Moses, do you see what? I'm talking with Moses. Moses does know Jehovah. Jehovah knows Moses is to be our leader. What greater evidence would you need than God talking to your leader? And so that's that's what he said. That's the purpose. The cloud makes the people will hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. Wow, go back to that. Well, and ten years later, we know uh, Pastor Tim didn't know Joe Burrow because I remember ten years ago they shook hands. And Moses, he's the leader forever. They'll know. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you in 2020, and that this, His fear may be for your faces that you sin not. A thick, a thick cloud, says Matthew Henry, was to prohibit curious inquiries into things secret and to command an awful adoration of that which was revealed. And the quote, I think a good thick cloud would be good for America today. See God come down in a thick cloud across the whole world and hear the rumblings and the lightnings and the thunder. It would put the fear of God, literally, in the people's hearts. And we need that. A reverential fear. I'm not saying that, I mean, what's God going to do to me? Now, I know what God's going to, by His grace, going to preserve me. But He's God and I am not. And that reverential fear, we need a very large dose of that in our era today. Moses' role as leader is authenticated. Clearly, Yahweh is bestowing peculiar honor and distinction on Moses, and that's why he's coming in this cloud. The, yes, the people would see the holiness of God, and yes, also Moses would be guaranteed to be their leader or, leader or God's choice for leader. What an awesome, fearful day it was, visibly, physically assaulted with the holiness and the majesty of Almighty God. I would say a lot of them were on their faces before this. I mean, it's so holy, you can't even touch the mount, animal, or mankind. What an amazing thing. Wearsby again says, The fact that God spoke with Moses personally should have given the people confidence in their leader, but subsequent events proved differently. What a privilege it was for Israel to have a leader such as Moses, and what a tragedy it was they repeatedly made life difficult for him. You want somebody who has the stamp of approval of God. It was Moses. I mean, everybody knows it. It was that. 1910, the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready. Against the third day, verse 11, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people about Mount Sinai. The Lord's going to come and be a manifestation there at Sinai. If we are, if we are prepared for the vision of God, they would be great. If they're not prepared, whoa! The Bible says in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. We are all headed for an encounter with God. I found this, on, it's been across Facebook for quite some time, but I still like it. It says in the caption, there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. That was 0.0296. They were in the New Testament and there were people casting out devils or, or, and, and the disciples said, Let's, uh, they're, not with, they're not doing it just as we're doing. 
And he said, let's call down fire on them. And you said, well, just step back just for a moment and you know, let, let them go ahead. They're on, he's not against us. He's a, who's forced not like, I can't exactly remember, but that was the idea. And so we have a chance. If you want to, or we just been so hurried and rushed and wow, I'm a minute and flop down the seat. I made it. I made it a minute early. Woohoo! Wake me up when the pastor's done speaking. There we go. No, you don't do that. I'm just, I'm exaggerating. But are we preparing? Are we preparing Saturday night? Are we getting our clothes ready? Are, are we going to bed on time? So that you can come to church and, and be awake. And, and, and is my heart prepared? Are, are we reading God's Word? Did you read the Bible every day this week? This past week? Are you going to read it going forward every day this week? We have to be prepared. That's what he's saying. Prepare yourselves. And they were preparing themselves for God to come down on the mount and to speak with Moses May we prepare ourselves every day for His service. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Amen. We need to take time to be holy. We need to do that. Be ye holy. I am holy and we'll unhook our wagon, as Brother Lauderdale says right there. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just thankful that you are gracious and merciful. Lord, this peculiar treasure, that we are that. That you see us in, in, through the blood of Christ and we are redeemed. We, we are, we've been justified. One day we'll be glorified. We have been so blessed. Lord, forgive me for getting so earthly bound in my thoughts instead of, what do people need? Do others see Jesus in me? How can we, touch, how can we minister to a world we've never touched? So it helps us, me, the pastor specifically, and others, if they want to join in, to be about your business this week, may you give us opportunities to, to serve. But Lord, it starts with me taking time for you every day. Help me, Lord. Help each of us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 509, please, in closing.